That was a good word. I mean, he always has, he, he always has good words, doesn't he? But that was a good word, I think. Um, uh, wow. I, I, words of knowledge. I, revelation. I mean, just, just be open to that. Be thinking about that. I just... I really resonated with what he just said. That's from the Lord. It's a good word. Well, uh, good morning. It's good to see you. You guys all look good. Thanks for coming out. And there's a lot of you this morning. That's good. That's encouraging. Um, Tis the season, right? Craziness. Um, Get your Bibles out. The Gospel of John. Chapter 2, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the whole house was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, objected Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Now he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he would use he used to help himself help himself to it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 12. Is it up on the screens? Can we get that up on the screens? All right, sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, you got the picture, right? Okay, I'll read another version in a second. But, okay, if you were here last week, does this sound familiar? Okay, so last week we, we read a story. It, it, it's like identical, or at least it seems to be like the same story. We read chapter, we, that, all right. Marta, can you give me my water, please? <laughs> Thank you, honey. The other one, the red one. I don't know who that other one is. All right, thank you. I'm just, uh, maybe. No, I'm okay, this is fine. Uh, thank you. Um, Luke chapter 7, our lesson last week was very similar. It's like the same story. It's like, what's going on here? What we just read was about Mary. Mary of Bethany. This is Lazarus's sister, Marta's sister. The story last week was about the sinful woman of the city. Now, either she was a prostitute or she was the equivalent to Kim Kardashian. We just don't quite know. But... Um, <laughs> The, the, the idea is it's a sinful woman of the city. So we can pretty much assume, okay, this is, it's, she's a prostitute, right? Contrasting her expression of worship. She had, she had a, a vial or a container of perfume. 
that symbolized, it wasn't, it wasn't only valuable, it, wasn't only, it was not just her wealth, but it symbolized her very identity, and she, she was willing to break her identity for Jesus. She, she had this understanding of her desperate need. She was a broken person. She had tons of baggage. And she just said, look, if you're who you say you are, I'm all in. Let's, let's do this. Uh, the, the host, Simon the Pharisee, he, he, he didn't express himself in any way like that. He was just after, you know, an ethical code, a new way of living, a lifestyle, or, you know, something that he can, you know, attach onto his life to make him better. He came at Jesus with his head, with his mind. You know, he just he wanted a philosophy. The sinful woman wanted a relationship. She wanted to touch Jesus. That was the main point. The, the, the Pharisee couldn't touch him. He's like, ooh, ick. Like, I know, I'm not going to get emotional about this. I'm not going to put my whole self into this. This is too weird. But the main idea is her brokenness. She, she was desperate. She rock bottom. She did horrible things. She, she had baggage. She was a prostitute. Her being at rock bottom corresponded with how much she responded to Jesus. She, 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 she loved much. Her, her faith had room to move. And, and I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking to yourself, some of you, you're probably thinking, Josh, I'm not a hooker. I've never, you're saying, I, don't, I can't have that same experience that she had because I haven't sinned like she did. I, I, I've never done a line of coke in my entire life. I've never stolen anything. I've never even played Grand Theft Auto. I, I, I can't relate to being a sinner like this. It's just not who I am. I'm a good little kid. I'm a good little church boy or church girl. It's not fair that she gets this, this type of Revelation, this breakthrough, this connection with Jesus. And, and what you're telling me last week, that the only way that I can have this is if, you know, I just blow it and sin and, and so on. Church folks, you know what I'm saying, right? You've had this experience before. It's like, you know, yeah, somebody new comes into the church and they've, they've wrecked their life, they've wrecked their relationships, you know, they've hit rock bottom. All of a sudden they find Jesus and they're super excited. And you're just like super bored with your faith. You know, it's like, this isn't fair. How come they're getting all this breakthrough and I'm, I'm, I'm not? And the message today is basically a contrast between the sinful woman and Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany, she wasn't a prostitute or a sinner. She was a woman of influence. She was, she was a good little Jewish girl. She, she learned some type of a secret. She was able to get this breakthrough that this woman had. Now we're going to read the, the same story, uh, different, um, different gospel. Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Did I got that right? Okay, Mark 14, verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table... In the home of a man known as Simon the leper. Interesting that the, the host is, are both Simons, right? And then this story happens at the end of Jesus' ministry. 
Uh, one we read last week was at the beginning of his ministry. So Simon the leper was hosting this home with Lazarus. A woman came with an alabaster jar, so they don't name her this time. Very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar, poured the perfume on his head. Okay, so this one, same, this is the same exact story. This is Mary of Bethany, okay? And she did both. She poured, she poured, she anointed his feet, and she anointed his head. Some of, uh, some of those present were saying indignantly, indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. So they, they, they got on her case. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? This is the important part. She has done a beautiful thing to me. She's done a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. Okay? The, the, the prostitute didn't get that. I mean... So there's, there's something interesting, very interesting going on. Now, in this banquet, much like the one last week, in this banquet, Jesus is honored because we just read that they held this banquet in honor of Jesus. And I don't know if you remember from last week, the prostitute washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Simon the Pharisee dishonored Jesus by not having one of his slaves or servants wash his feet. So we can deduce that his feet were already washed. He was already greeted. And, you know, the moral of the story isn't one of, you know, you've disrespected me. The moral of the story is the inability of his disciples to have vision. Mary had vision. She was able to see something prophetically that no one else could see. All right, we'll get into that. So it's a different setting. It's a different environment. There's, there's not this, you know, we're going we're gonna to ask Jesus difficult questions. They're, they're just enjoying his presence. Now, who are the major players? We have Jesus, of course, Martha, Mary, and Judas. Oh, and then, you know, Simon the leper who's hosting it. But main, main players, Martha, Mary, Jesus, and Judas. Martha... As you all know, uh, you know she's, she's the one, when they first encounter Jesus, she's working fervently to serve him. And Mary, I'm, I'm going to assume that Mary's the younger daughter or the younger sister. She's just sitting and listening to Jesus' teachings. And, and, and Martha gets mad. It's like, I'm, I'm working hard and, and you're not, you know, you need to make my sister serve you. She's being lazy. So he gets this conversation. Jesus says she has chosen the better way. Now in this story, in this story, Martha is back in the kitchen. She is back serving Jesus. But there's no, there's no uh, rebuke of her doing this. She's doing exactly what she should be doing at this time. She's being very obedient. Now see, she understands. 
she's actually had some very deep insight into who Jesus is, and we'll get there as we keep going. But for right now, she understands that she needs to serve, that she needs to be a slave, that her, her expression, her relationship to, to God, her, relationship, her personal relationship to Jesus is one of serving right now. She's, she has to give of herself. And here's the thing. Here's the truth of your humanity and who you are, how we're wired, how we're made. How we're made is you're going to serve somebody. And in bulletin, you're not, you know, there's a little scripture reference on Romans there. You were slaves to sin. And now you're slaves to God. It's either one or the other. You're, you're, slavery is inevitable. You, you're going to serve something. You're either going to serve your appetites, you're going to serve your sinful nature, you're going to serve your boss, you're going to serve materialism, you're going to serve entertainment, whatever it might be, you're, you're, you're going to serve something or you could serve God. And so she's understanding this truth that she's got to be a slave. Now, once we begin, how do you know if you're serving God or if you're serving other other things? Well, you you ask yourself a simple question. Is the word if in any part of your relationship with God? God, if I go to church, will you do this? God, if I give enough, will you do this? God, if I... If I'm good, will this happen? Whenever you begin your relationship or your prayer life or your discussions with God and if is in there, if, it's, if your relationship with him is conditional, um, you're the master and he's your slave. He is there to serve you. And that's a very dangerous, illegal place for us to be. So you have to take if out of the equation. That's how you know who you're serving. Are you serving yourself or are you serving the Lord? Difficult questions to ask. Mary is serving the Lord, okay? The next player in that we have is Lazarus. Now, what's Lazarus doing? Lazarus was raised from the dead. Gosh, I wish I could be at this table. I wish I could just, I wish I could just be sitting at the table. Same situation, you know, a little low coffee table, and they're lounging around on beanbags. And Jesus and Lazarus, we know are eating at the table. The, the disciples are probably there too. We don't, it doesn't say specifically. But gosh, could you imagine being at this table? You are three or four days dead. Not mostly dead, dead, dead. Rotting flesh falling off your body dead. And your Savior resurrects you and now you're, you're eating dinner with him? What kind of conversation did you have? And, and then notice, they're on the same level. And the Bible tells us that, you know, Jesus wept for his friend, Lazarus. Shortest verse in the Bible, by the way, Jesus wept. Driven to emotion about the loss of his friend, even though he understood what was going on. But there's a friendship there. There is a, there's a communion that's going on there. They, Lazarus, is his relationship to the Lord is, is in a seat of communion. It's fellowship. Lazarus is exactly where he's supposed to be. He doesn't work into the moral of the story. There's no rebuke towards what he's doing or what Mary's do, or what Martha's doing. He's exactly where he's supposed to be, and that is in friendship with God. Now, if we do the, the Martha thing too much, and Martha did get corrected on this, right? He, she, was, she was working, 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 and Jesus references it, and, and this is in John chapter 11. Jesus says, 
sister, you, you, you need to slow down. You're way too busy. You're way too fragmented. You, you, your, your emotions are all over the place. You've got too many things going on. Your sister chose the, the better path because she's focusing on one thing, and that's me. All right? And sometimes in our lives, um, when we spend too much time doing things for God and not spending time in God's presence, God will do some drastic stuff. Like Lazarus, you, you, you need to die. You need to die to your works approach to your faith, your works performance attitude towards faith. If I do all these things, if I'm really, really good, then God's going to like me. You got you to break that. And he, what, what God will do, he's, he's a gentleman, but he's, you know, like I said, you know, last week, you know, God expects you to get emotional with him, to, you know, cry and do touchy-feely stuff. But, I mean, if you're a guy and that bothers you, I understand. But you also need to know that Jesus is a brawler, and he'll take you to the mat. And he will, he will, and he doesn't bring pain to torment you. He will discipline you, and it hurts. He'll even take stuff from you just so that you and God can be friends again. Because we, we forget how to relate to him sometimes when we're, when we're so busy, when we're so consumed with religion that, you know, even our, our, our prayer life and our language towards him is more these and thous and oh, holy God. And, and we, we've forgotten just to, have a, to sit down at the table and eat with him. And whether that relationship is with a friend Bible says that Moses talked to God face-to-face as one does with a friend. Or if the relationship is with your heavenly father, sometimes we need to relate to a heavenly father. Or sometimes we just need to relate to Jesus as our brother. Jesus, our brother. So he'll, uh, yeah, he's a, he, he's, he'll do some, some deep surgery in order just to be friends with us. He'll, he'll, he'll take things from you. If you don't have that type of personal, affectionate relationship with God, he'll, 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 he'll tell you to pay attention. So that's what he does. And then the other player, of course, is Mary. And she's the subject of our, she's the main focus of the day. Now, Mary, I don't want to say that uh, Martha's uh, position of serving and Lazarus's position of communion are, are less than what Mary does. But what Mary expresses kind of encompasses both, both of them, and it gets to the real heart of who Jesus is. Now keep in mind, Mary is unlike the sinful woman in that she is a woman of influence. When her brother died, John 11 tells us that they put him in a crypt and people of wealth had crypts and vaults that, that they put their dead in. And lots of friends, Jewish people, came, and they, they came and they consoled Mary. They, they sat with her, tons of people. She had so much influence that after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Jewish officials started freaking out just because of Mary's influence with people because there were so many that came to her side so many that started believing in Jesus after the resurrection of Lazarus that they're like, oh my gosh, this is, we've we got to, not only do we have to kill Jesus, but we have to kill Lazarus too. 
She, they, there's just too much influence in this family. So she's, she's a woman of influence of some level. We, again, we don't know the details, but we, she's got influence. So the prostitute, you know, she only has influence like at 12 o'clock at night, all right? Does that make sense? That's about, that's the extent of her influence. And it's usually with some lonely guy, right? Mary is completely different. She sees what's going on. I don't know if she's sitting at the table. Probably not. Again, it's a banquet, so there was probably open up to the community. She's probably sitting along the back. She's probably walking back and forth. Who knows if she was helping Martha? We don't know. It doesn't say. But what she does do is she begins to approach Jesus and worship much like the prostitute did. And she starts to think about what's going on. She, she engages her mind. But not only does she engage her mind, she engages her whole person, her, her, her emotions, her will, her soul. Her whole person goes after it. And what I think that she's thinking about is she's seeing what's going on. She had a couple of encounters, personal encounters with Jesus. And she's thinking to herself, my God, God himself is at my dining room table. I, I can't comprehend this. What, the, the, so the wheels are turning. What is the proper response? Now, I don't know where I got this. I, I got this for myself, but I have a theory. I have a personal theory that Mary is thinking about this. She's trying to figure out what the right response is. And I think she recalled what the prostitute did in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I know what I'll do. I'll do what she did. That's the right response. That's the right response. That's what I'll do. And keep in mind, she has a jar of this pure nard, this perfume from India, very rare, very expensive. It's worth a year's wage. All right, let me put that into real context. In this town, medium income, 85000 to 150000 just like that. She, she gave a year's income all at once. She was willing to, to sacrifice this all at once. She, 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 she thinks about that. Okay? She does something else that the prostitute does. She undoes her hair. Scandalous. Remember how scandalous it was? Okay, scandalous enough for a prostitute, but for her to let her down, hair down, a woman of influence, a woman of means, an important person in society, oh my gosh, they're freaking out. They are freaking out that she's letting her hair down and wiping Jesus' feet, anointing his head. This is, this is crazy. This is unusual. She is taking such a huge risk. She completely abandons her position. She lets go of her pride. She completely sacrifices her pride for Jesus. What does pride look like? How, how do you know if you're following Jesus? Pride is the big, uh, it's the big bad boy, okay? It's, to, to break down the Bible real quick, uh, the Bible is... 
there is a God and, and you're not him. Okay, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Once we begin to say, well, okay, I'm God of my own life, I want control, then, then, we are, then, we're, then we're in sin. That, that's the story of the garden, okay? Pride is this desire, this natural inclination to control or to think that, that we are owed something, okay? It's, it's, pride is, it, it's difficult. Okay, of course, there's a good pride. There's, you know, you're proud of your kids. You're proud of, you know, your accomplishments, whatever. But the pride that the Bible talks about that is so dangerous is this pride that says, I'm owed something. And in these two stories, it manifests itself in two different ways. For the prostitute, the prostitute has to sacrifice her pride too. Okay, now she's a broken individual. She's a, a person, a marginal person in society. She's not worth anything. She's, she's trash. She's, she's just a servant, okay? She's broken. And in, in how many people, she's, she's got baggage, right? But she sacrifices her pride. When people, when life disappoints, when life doesn't turn out the way that we wanted it to, we had dreams about our life. We had all, we, had, we projected, you know, where we would be, and, but we're living in disappointment. How do you know if you have pride? People that live in disappointment, that had their dreams shattered, they begin to take on a self-righteous attitude. In the, in the world, it looks like, well, the government's done me wrong. They owe me. It's that entitlement spirit that, that you can take on. In the religious church sector, it's, you know, I've been good and, and I, I've held my morals, and so therefore God owes me. And it's, it, it manifests with a, with a bitter, cynical attitude. Whenever you're, you know, you're, you're disappointed, you have disappointments, disappointments in life. It didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. And once we begin to think, okay, my dreams didn't come true. God still owes me. And then you project that onto everybody else. It's pride. Now, the other side of the coin, so that would be the prostitute. The other side of the coin is Mary, who, who probably doesn't lack for anything. Okay, she's, you know, maybe she's still a woman in an ancient society, so she probably doesn't have the rights, but she's doing okay. You know, she's not going to starve to death. She's, she's not the broken individual that, that the prostitute is. But success can manifest pride, the same spirit, but it just manifests in a different way. Let's just say you're lucky in this world, and everything does go good for you, and you just, you know, you win the lottery, or, or you're really super smart, and you're really good with money, and you just know how to make things happen, and you're just ambitious, and you're, you're driven, and how do you know if you're dealing with pride in that sense? Well, you, you're prideful if you think that you're, you're special, if you're different from everyone else, if you're God's little anointed one, that the rules don't apply to you because you're special. Now, you've seen this in real life. Like, you know, you have a young couple that get into the entertainment industry, and then eventually one becomes famous. And what happens? They end up in divorce, right? It's because they think that they're special. They think that... that the good fortune that has come to them is because they earned it. They deserved it. It's the same spirit. 
So both the prostitute and both Mary, they completely give up everything. They sacrifice that spirit of pride. They don't have it. Why? Well, the prostitute knows that she, she's in desperate need. She's got to, Jesus is the answer. And if you are who you say you are, then I'm all in. I'll give you everything, okay? Because she realizes that he has given me life. He, she doesn't complain to him about his problems. He, I owe him nothing. Excuse me, I owe, I owe him everything. He owes me nothing. Same is true with, with Mary. See, once we go in, once we have this attitude that God owes me, that's so dangerous. So dangerous. Whenever we think God owes us something. I'll tone this down. God don't owe you or me a dang thing. We owe him everything. Mary understands this truth that the prostitute didn't understand. Mary goes into, again, she begins to think about this. Oh my gosh, I've got God at my dinner table. How do I respond? And she gets the oil and she breaks it and you know that like oh my gosh what a this is this is this is a lavish abuse of money what's going on here so she gets that response jesus says she has done this for my burial she has an understanding that she is anointing my body beforehand for my death she has done a beautiful thing to me. You see, she's seeing, she's seeing the worth of this. She's seeing the value of it. She understands, that, that she understands the beauty of the gift. She understands what Jesus is. See, a lot of us, we don't understand his value. We don't know what he's worth. We, we don't get it. So while, she's, while she can't comprehend what's going on in the room, there's another player in the room that is thinking with a completely different mind. Who else do we know is there? It's Judas. While she can't comprehend what's going on, Judas is at the table. And if you keep on reading, you'll know that he betrays Jesus right after this turns him over to the authorities, just completely betrays him. So while Mary's thinking about what's going on, Jesus, or Judas is calculating the value of Jesus. What's this guy worth to me? What am I getting out of this relationship? How much is Jesus worth? Turns out to be 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver... Um, was what you would pay for a manslave back then. That's how much they cost. The, 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 the weaklings, though. So that's what, that's what Jesus was worth to Judas, a manslave, 30 pieces of silver. That's what it was worth to him. You see, we don't understand the value of Jesus. We don't understand what he did. I, you guys know I'm, I, you know, I, I, antique dealer. Uh, last week, Last month, I did an estate sale here in, uh, in Claremont. 
And uh, it was a doctor's house. They had a lot of really nice things, doctor and a professor. And um, the, my colleague that was actually running the sale, you know, she called me in because there's some certain things that she didn't know about. And so uh, I started looking at some of the stuff. I'm like, I had, I had, there were some like, little statues and things and cool stuff. So I had to get it. I had to grab it. I had to pick it up. I had to feel it. I, I had to inspect it. I had to smell it. So it took me some time. And then I realized what it was. And it's like, a, it's like a little rush, okay? You understand the value of something. Oh my gosh, this is special. This is the wrong environment for this. They're, the people that are going to come to the cell, they're not going to understand the value of it. You, Shauna, you need to take this to Sotheby's or Christie's and put it into auction because this is an antiquity from the third millennium. This is, you can't sell that. You can't sell this here. They're not going to understand the value of it. Now, many times I've, I've walked into an antique store and, and, I, and I see something that I know and I understand and they've got it priced way too cheap. And I see it and I'm like, give me that. Well, don't you want to haggle with me? No, you just give it to me now because I know what it's worth. Okay, you see what I'm saying? This is, this is Mary understood the value of Jesus. And here's the, here's the hard part. He is the pearl of great price. He's priceless. Completely priceless. If Jesus is worth anything different than everything, if he is not priceless to you, okay, maybe he's not 30 pieces of silver to you. Maybe he's $10 million to you. I don't know. But whenever you put a price tag on Jesus you're going to pull a Judas and you're going to sell out someday. You'll betray him. It's all or nothing. It's everything. Because he is worth it. He is worthy. The whole term of worthy is worth. Once you begin to understand the worth of Jesus, once you begin to express worthiness to him, you, you, you begin to get it. You begin to express yourself and you worship in kind. Your response is right. Judas put a price on Jesus. And again, once we think about, what do I get out of this relationship? Once we do, all right, well, I'll, Jesus, I'll, I'll get on board if you bless me. Do we see what we're doing? We're putting a price tag on Christ, and it's all or nothing. See, Mary understood. She was able to discern and able to speak prophetically into Jesus' death and resurrection. She saw the beauty in it. Hmm? It took her breath away. Does Jesus take your breath away when you understand the death? when you understand that he paid it all for you. When you understand that he sees you as the pearl of great price. He's willing to do anything to get you. That is an amazing thought. All right. 
Where did Mary come up with this knowledge? Back in John 11. This is the redemption, or this is the transformation of, of her sister Martha. Lazarus dies, dead, okay? Again, not mostly dead, 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 skin rotting, dead. Jesus took his time leaving from Jerusalem to go to Bethany. It's just, you know, not, not too far away. Could have been there, could have made it, but he took his time. Martha, Mary stays home with, all, with her group of friends that are consoling her. Martha goes out into the field and meets Jesus. And she says something very interesting. She says, you could have saved my brother if you would have been here on time. But I understand who you are. And you could ask God, even at this moment of pain and despair, you can ask God, you can petition God, and he's going to give you what you ask. Jesus says something very profound. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he'll die. And those that are living and believing, they're going to live forever. And he looks at Martha. He says, Martha, do you believe this? And she says something that only one other person said. She says, yes, Lord. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. Word for word, you are God's son who has come into this world, Emmanuel. So she understood who Jesus was. That gets communicated. Sisters, you guys have sisters? Raise your hand if you have sisters. You like chat on the phone all the time? So Martha's going to tell Mary what she experienced with Jesus. This treasure, this teaching. So you sometimes have to be taught into these things. Martha instructs her sister Mary to understand and discern the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's where she got it. That's where she began to in this thinking process. But then again, she thinks, but she engages Jesus with her whole person, sacrifices her money, completely just breaks open this jar. Again, woman of means, but this is probably her only source of financial security. So she gives away her security. She gives away her dignity and her pride, and she embarrasses herself in front of everybody. She's willing to take that risk. She comes at Jesus with her whole person. Now, here's the thing. When we worship, it has to be with your will. You have to, sometimes you have to make yourself come to church on time to worship, right? It's, this is not easy. You have, to, you have to will yourself to do it. Sometimes you have to will yourself to raise your hands. You have to will yourself to stand up. Come, let us worship and bow down. It's an act of will. You have to express yourself with joy. So there's that part of your emotions needs to be involved. You need to use your mind. It's, it's your whole being that engages Jesus in worship. And we can do some but not all sometimes. So sometimes we're just doing the motions and we're just we're doing the cross and we're doing our rosaries and we're, we're chanting our thing and we have this aesthetic 
approach, and that's all we do. But we forget to engage God with our emotions. Or sometimes we engage God with our emotions. We're really excited. We're jumping around in church. We like the music. We're digging it. But we don't, it doesn't change us when we leave the building. See, true worship transforms you. It, it, it changes you. When, you. when you bring your whole self, your mind, your soul, your emotions, your being, your will, when you, when you incorporate all those elements into worship, it, it, it changes you. And especially if you understand and you have discernment of the death of what Jesus did for us, it changes you, or at least it should. And we come at Jesus with one element or just another element, and we don't, we don't come at him with our whole person, and, but we know we've got problems, and it's like, it's like a big piece of metal, right? And it needs to be formed into something pure and a ball, and we're bending it, and we're, break, you know, we're, we're trying to crumple this thing up into what we think it looks like, what God has fashioned us to be. And we're bending our own will. And what God wants to do through discernment and prophetic understanding the death and resurrection is that it, he, he wants to melt us. It's the refiner's fire. If you keep on trying to do faith and you keep on trying to, to, to be a good person, you're going to keep on bending yourself and bending yourself and bending yourself and you're going to break. But if you let God take control, if you worship him the way that these two ladies did, then, he, then you're going to be melted. You're going you're to be formed into what he wants you to look like. And it, it's going to burn, but you're not going to break. All right. The world doesn't understand what we do. The world doesn't understand worship. They don't get it. And John, Judas is the one that says, Judas says, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. Mary is, is just acting out. This is horrible. This is embarrassing. He could have used this money and given it to the poor. He didn't understand, Okay. In Matthew, same exact story, says it's the disciples. So it's not just Judas. It's the disciples that say, oh, my gosh, we could use this money for the poor. Our religion has this form to it, and, and this is what we do. And we gotta, this, is, this, is, this is embarrassing. This is a travesty. So the disciples are the ones that are offended by Mary's sacrifice. And then in Mark, what we read, it's everybody else. So everybody else was offended and they rebuked this gal for what she did, her expression of worship. The world doesn't understand worship. The world doesn't understand the nativity sets out in the parking lot. What a waste of time and money. Your friends and family might not understand why you come to church, why you sacrifice an hour and a half if pastor is teaching two hours. Of your time. Oh, sorry. A little levity there. They don't understand why you give money. What a waste of money. You've got better things to do with your time and your money than give it to 
church or religion or whatever. See, the world doesn't understand what we're doing. And, I mean, this, this lie that started with Judas, who's demonized, eventually becomes possessed by the devil himself, everybody, everybody else believed it. The disciples believed it. Gosh, these guys. I mean, how many times did these guys blow it? But they, 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 they believed the lie of the devil, and so did the rest of the community. You see how infectious it is. The world doesn't understand worship because they don't understand Jesus. But Mary did, and you do. How do I know that you do? I am so encouraged by my church family. You guys are so cool because I see you serve. I see you sacrifice and you give of your time. You do, you do things that other churches don't do. Can't do. They don't have the heart to do it. You are, you're fascinated with Jesus. You have this understanding that I don't want to I don't want to be like Donald Trump and serve myself. I want to serve Jesus. I, I understand this truth. I, I'm going to be his slave. And so we see that relationship fan out. We also see you saying, I want to get to know Jesus on a personal level. I need to communicate. How do we see that? It's because you guys love each other. You guys are in communion with each other. Worship is expressed corporately like what we did on Sunday. It's expressed when you guys get together in your small groups Pray for each other. It's worship. When you do life together. So, so encouraged to see you guys in communion. And then this, this, this act of understanding or trying to understand the mystery of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. To, under, to, to know that, that there's, there's, there's a treasure there somewhere. There's beauty there somewhere. And I'm going to find it. I'm all in, not because I want to get something out of it. I'm going to break my oil jar, not because I want God to give me something. I'm all in. Because he's worth it. He's worth it. This is what our church does. This is why you're special. We've got to have the band come on up and the ushers come on up as they're on their way up. Make sure worship never becomes routine. Your worship needs to be whole person. It needs to be extravagant. When you come to church on Sunday, when you come to church, when you engage with your, with your home group, with your friends, whatever, when you come, you need to say, I'm going to connect with God today. That needs to be your position. You need to go in thinking about it, but then you need to be in his presence feeling it. I'm going to connect with God today because he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worthy. See, the main difference between the prostitute, again, she knew she needed Jesus, and her approach to worship was one out of need, right? Desperate need. Mary's approach to worship was giving Jesus his due. Do you see the difference? Okay, she, 
she knows that she needs salvation. She knows that. But she's out to give Jesus his due because he's worth it. There's the main difference between Mary, the saint, and the sinful woman, the sinner. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would just uh, draw us further up and deeper into your presence. God, those that have uh, got themselves so busy with life and so busy with serving and so complicated that their emotions and they're just fragmented all over the place, God, I pray that you will do whatever you need to do to draw them back into friendship. God, for those of us that uh, we're serving something other than you, maybe we think we're serving you, but we're, it's, it's not you, God. I pray that you just draw us into repentance, God. Forgive us for serving ourselves, for serving our, our ambitions, whatever it may be. Forgive us of that. But God, most importantly, God, may we turn our hearts towards you so we can understand the deeper things that you've called us to. God, that relationship with you that says, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. God, that relationship with you that says, you're worthy. I understand the work that you did on the cross. I understand it. I understand it. Pray that you would just draw us into that new prophetic revelation that goes further up and deeper in. Thank you, Father. Bless it to our blessed Lord. Bless this offering. Amen. If you don't know the Lord, if you are for the first time aware of your desperate need, if you need to make the Lord the Lord of your life, I want to encourage you that today's a good day to receive him. Come forward. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus.